it is still in this modern world an epic out there experience it is the power of stepping taking that first step in the Mexican border and thinking I'm hiking to Canada there's in the 21st century there's this continuous line largely full wilderness in the United States of America in the most populous state in the country California it remains epic and a miracle that was Barney Scout Man. I'm your host, Shanti, along with Mary, and this is the Out and Back podcast presented by Gaia GPS. So if you're listening to this podcast, I have a strong suspicion that you might like to have fun outside, no matter how you do it. A simple day hike, a long bike tour, or overlanding trips in the backcountry, you're going to want Gaia GPS to get you there. Gaia GPS is the tool for navigating in the backcountry. It has all the maps you could ever want, and you can download them to navigate off the grid, even when you're nowhere near cell service. I used Gaia GPS on my entire Appalachian Trail through hike in 2019. It helped me stay on course, even in sections where it got a little dicey and it wasn't well marked. I used it to figure out my exact distance from water sources, landmarks, shelters, and everything else a hiker needs to know. And now, you can get a great discount on a Gaia GPS premium membership right now just by going to GaiaGPS.com slash podcast. It only takes a minute to sign up, and the next time you're out on the trail, you'll be glad you did. All right, so back to our guest, Barney Scout Man. Scout and his wife Frodo have, for years, opened their San Diego home to anyone starting the Pacific Crest Trail through hike. Each season, over a thousand through hikers stay at their place the night before they start their big trip. And it's a full-service operation, too. They pick hikers up from the airport, take them to their house, feed them, entertain them, teach them the ways of the trail, and then drive them up to the trailhead to give them a proper send-off on their 2,600-mile journey. And they do it all for free. The buzz and excitement of being around the thru-hiking community is contagious, but Scout and Frodo have wanted to retire for some time now. Scout is going to get into why they might not be completely done with hosting hikers just yet. Plus, we get into Scout's new book, Journeys North. Before we go down that road, though, Mary and I wanted to find out what even drew Scout and Frodo to having a PCT send-off party at their house every night of the week during hiking season since 2006. So, Scout, thanks for coming on the show. I want to start by asking that all-important why question. Why? What was your motivation to get started with hosting PCT hikers? And one primary motivation was we wanted to physically touch the stream that we have. And said, wow, we'll host starting hikers at our home in San Diego. We heard about one other guy who did that. And then we'll drive them out there. Maybe there'll be, there'll be a journaling on the way. We can follow them a line, maybe even drive up trail and, uh, and a trail journal for them. And that year in 2006, we hosted 17 people total. And we thought, we're hot. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get started doing that in 2006? Did you just put it out on the interwebs? Hey, come stay at our house if you're going to do the PCT or what? How did you get those 17 people to get a start? We actually started, got the idea and tried to do it in 2005. And we put out our word and notices in all the wrong places. Such <laughs> as? Like where? Oh, no one got back to us. So uh -huh. back in the day of the, of the kickoff, the, the PCT starting event, 20 miles north of the trail, they had rye boards, but we put it on the wrong rye board. 
<laughs> and I think we post on the on the P- old PCTL email listserv. We think putting in notice with the PCTA, and it took us a year to find the right places. And seventeen that year, maybe two hundred and fifty people started. Two thousand six. So it's already getting close to 10%. And so what would you offer to people? Like, how has your hosting grown over the years? What did you start out doing and what are you doing now? So it's actually the fairly similar. We will pick you up train bus or plane or a hostel, put you up for a night or more. Back then, we didn't have any limits. So we had people who'd stay with us for a week. Oh. These, these days, it's one night for U.S. and a three nights for internationals. Feed you. The things that we knew you wouldn't have, say, such as a fuel, because you couldn't fly with it. And so we'd have here already. And then every morning at 6 a.m., those who are going out that day, we will take out there. And those basics haven't changed. Did you always have like people tenting in the backyard or did you have people ever staying in the house or anything like that? Well, when they're 17, they all stayed in the house. (laughs) (laughs) We have a five bedroom place and that's 17 people over uh, four weeks. And so that, that used to be the default. It's house first and then tents in the backyard. The next year in 2007, we had 35. And that's, again, spread out over four weeks. That was 35. And it was the year after that, in 2008. That year, we had, I think, 110. We had a, a third of that, uh, a little bit over a third of that year's class. And starting with then, it's been a lot of some bedrooms in the house, and the majority have been the tents in the backyard. We switched from people setting up their own tents to us providing tents, large 10-foot by 20-foot catering Height tents for the bulk of them. Big Agnes, thank you, Big Agnes, donated uh, three six-person tents. We have nice. a tree house I built with my daughter 20 years ago that has a actually has a loft with a queen-size bed mattress and a skylight. <laughs> Fancy. So where is your house? I picture just like neighborhoods and suburbs. And where is your house in San Diego? Um, we're in a, a suburban neighborhood that's 20 minutes north of the airport, and we are 63 miles from from the PCT trailhead. One of the reasons that we did it was public transportation is really pretty awful to get out to the trailhead, even today, but back then, it's even worse. It does not run at all on the weekends. Mm-hmm. When you did get out there back when, your choices of where to sleep were maybe by the youth detention center out in Little Campo or near the border patrol station. <laughs> You'd be all night long sub- subjected to border pull stuff, and you might get rousted. You get dropped off a mile and a half from the trailhead, and there's no signage where it is. I've seen people wandering around lost. There was a few who described their worst day on the trail was their day zero the day before. And instead, <laughs> we get a chance to basically for 24 hours or two days, people can have a hug before they uh, depart this journey in a lifetime. So how big did this program get? I don't think you hosted last year, and I don't think you're hosting this year because of COVID. But the year before that, how many people did you host? 2019, we posted 1,224 people. Wow. And what was the (laughs) most you had in the house in like a, a single time? The most we ever slept here was about five, six years ago before the permit system, because the permit system mm-hmm. spread people out. There's 50 mm-hmm. people a day. And in 2019, we probably averaged uh, 35 to 45 a night. But we had back in the days when everyone wants to start on May 1st or right around kickoff time. We had one night, we had 65 people sleep here. Oh my gosh. Oh. I have to know, what do your neighbors think? Like you, you live in a regular neighborhood, right? You have 65 people coming over. It's like a party. What are they thinking? 
So we get asked this question all the time. What do your neighbors think? 40 people a night every night. And <laughs> hikers coming in here from all over. What do they think? Huh? What I like to say is that they are bemused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is, this is odd. This is very different. It's sort of cool. These people are coming <laughs> from all over, from you know, dozens of countries and you can just feel the excitement feed off them. I'm starting a five-month hike tomorrow. You can just feel this excitement. And the impact on our neighbors, the actual impact, if you were living next door to us, is actually very little because it's walking traffic. They're walking to the right. post office. They're walking to the store. They're, they're walking to the drugstore. And it's confined. People are in the house or in the backyard. So it's not like this party. It's spilling over off into the street and it's loud. In fact, the one time we have the potential to really piss off our neighbors is the time from about 5.45 when the first hiker leaves, our, walks out on her deck in the front door, and we're loading eight, ten cars with people in packs who are excited out of their gourds. Literally, the moment you exit our front door, you don't talk again till you get in the car you're going out with and the doors are shut. And people are really good about that. And our neighbors know that, that, that we're really trying not to disturb them so much. You mentioned eight to 10 cars. Who's driving all these cars? How do you like operate the logistics of coordinating that many people getting to the trail at once? Let's do it the other way. How do you coordinate picking up from train, bus, plane, and hostel you know, 25, 30 plus people a day? Yeah, serious. Okay, so yeah, that's my question. <laughs> How do you coordinate feeding all these people at breakfast? And, and dinner. I like to say it's a bit like running a marine beach invasion. The back end of this, we had uh, 2019, we wrote 81 different thank you notes to volunteers who helped out. Because every morning, for 60 mornings in a row, to have 5, 10, whatever number of cars taking hiking hikers out there, only one or two of them is our car. And we have about 50 people who volunteer for that. And coordinating that, making sure you have coverage for each morning. Uh, you guys will like this. The last five, six years, we used to do it by hand at one point. And I have a big wall chart and had the, that year, we had 400 people with all their names and the days and drivers, how many seatbelts I need that morning and drivers. We went all online, in fact, to a Google Doc that uh, you could even go on it right now and sign up for, still probably for 2019. <laughs> you can go on it. Any one of our drivers can go on it every day. They can see how many seatbelts we need, who else is driving. They can sign themselves up, put the number of seatbelts, and have the pleasure of watching the number that we need go down. And in so many ways, this is what we've built in because with all that, all those support things being automated-ish, then allows us to do the really neat and fun part, which is the interaction with the hikers. And the same with same meals. Costco loves me. They think I'm having a huge party for hundreds every couple of days. Go in there and $500 to $700 at a time for food. And all right, one other aspect, we made a list of the complete universe of anything we'd be getting from Costco, whether from toiletries to food, you know, all these largely staples, plates and so forth. And then we just go through it the night before we're doing a Costco run two or three times a week and we check it off and check off the quantity. But here's the genius part. <laughs> the genius part is she put that list in the order you walk through the store. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's some coordination right there. <laughs> so I could literally walk in, 
and walk out within 45 minutes often. That's excellent. I'm like picturing a thousand hikers a season and you're feeding them, you're driving them up to the trailhead, you're picking them up from the airport or the train station or at different hostels and you're giving them showers and places to crash. So what would this cost people that wanted to kick their PCT hike off at your place? Yeah. From the very start, we're really clear and we are, we're able to, and so we have continued. There is no cost, please, no gifts, no donations. When we've been on trail, we've been the recipient of so much kindness and it's a joy because so many often times, you know, hikers will offer. They said, you'll be offered. And as part of being part of our team, if you will, is please tell them, no, thank you. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's humbling. Oh, and it's why I have so much respect for you, Scout, because you no, know, I did my through hike in 2019 of the Appalachian Trail, and it just continually blew my mind every single time I came across a trail angel, just how hospitable people can be, how happy people are to share what they have with others on the trail as you're driving towards something. And it's just amazing. And there were times where I, I was staying in a hostel and it was a case of, no, we do not want anything. We just are excited to provide for you and help you achieve your dream. And in a way, it helps us too. So yeah, it's so wonderful to hear that from you. So feeding off of that, then I want to actually ask you this first question. You backpacked most, you've backpacked most of your life. Do you remember your first experiences with trail angels or trail magic? I actually can't pinpoint the, the first time that I felt your trail magic. And it was more, we were on the opposite side of that in 2006. We were, we'd gone out in the trail, these people who stayed with us and others, and we were giving at that point. Mm-hmm. But early on in our, our, in our through hike, there's one in particular that this really sticks out. It's one amongst so many. Uh, we were coming to a uh, past Northern Sierra, Nevada, and it was one that was uh, reputed to have be a really hard hitch. Mm-hmm. And it's one we could see from about 45 minutes out, look down this uh, Sonora Pass. And, and we needed to get to a place to resupply. And we look down, we don't see any you know, cars. This is going to be fun. About two o'clock in the afternoon. And we come on out. We uh, uh, look at the road just a little bit and are about to decide where we're going to stand to stick out our thumbs when we hear a voice call out. And it says, are you Pacific Crest Trail through hikers? And we answer Yes. And a woman in a white SUV has rolled down the window and she said, do you guys need a ride? <laughs> and we said, yes. It, it turns out uh, this woman and her husband in their 60s, they would go to Berkeley Sierra Camp, 5,000 5, feet elevation, not the 10,000 Snore Pass. And it got hot there. And one year, six or seven years before us, they said, we'll drive up to Snore Pass and get cool. And they drive up there. And they see some scruffy looking people come out of the woodwork and they briefly chat them up and they go, oh my gosh, these are modern heroes, modern pilgrims. <laughs> and they take them back to Northern Kennedy Meadows resort that we need to get to and they treat them to lunch and then they go on. And so every year, one time they drive up to Snore Pass and they sit there and they wait. And this year it was our turn. They drove us back to Northern Kenny Meadows, treated us to lunch, wanted to hear every last one of our stories. And it was just a delight. Delight is the best way to describe it. Every time you're getting into hitch into town with somebody or every time a stranger is taking you to get some food 
or anything like that. Delight is just the word that I keep coming back to over and over again. It just instills so much sense of good that exists in humanity. And so what prompted you and Frodo to open up your home, devote your lives, really? This is overwhelmingly taking over your life when you open up your home to that many people. What really was the core that inspired you to do such a thing? We love doing it. It feeds something deep. If there was one thing I'd like to see more of in this world, and that's kindness. And I feel with these people coming through our house that we're sending out into the world this insidious wave of kindness <laughs> to whether they're 18 or whether they're 70. They come here and they strong people, but they are so needy. At that moment, they are both excited and scared and confident and uncertain. And we get to be there and help shepherd them through that moment. You wouldn't believe the, the concerns and the worries that come through our house and the stories. The, 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 you know, one, day, one day we have the, the uh, through hiker from from Via, who's the uh, who's that country's host on Jeopardy, come through our house. We have the uh, welterweight uh, boxing champion of, of Southern France comes to the house. All these, all these wonderful people. Tell us some of the most wild characters you've had at your house. Uh, wonderful characters. Older gentleman from Japan. I think he's 60 or so. And he, he comes and calls me out in the garage at some point after he gotten gotten comfortable settled in. Very little English, but he wants to show me something. He proceeds to unroll this beautiful artistic Japanese scroll. And you've probably seen the stylized uh, 200, 300 years old uh, Japanese, the beautiful artwork on the sides, and of course, the, the uh, calligraphy writing. And this is his specific crest trail itinerary that he's done. <laughs> cool. Oh, wow. And it's this artwork. Another reason why I love it is the uh, camp director uh, side of me. One of the blessings and gifts I have is I, I play mediocre guitar, but I, I'm willing to, is I can get other people to sing with me, blowing in the wind, leaving on a jet plane. And I'll just sit down in the living room at night after dinner and start in there. And people suddenly circle around. You end up with 15, 20 plus people. And how often do adults get to be in a sing-along. And so that night, the one of the old standards I do is the lion sleeps tonight. Mm -hmm. And I get people, you know, coming in the chorus, who can do that? And the high part's hard <laughs> in the chorus. Yeah. Wee! Okay. High part's <laughs> really hard in the chorus. And we get there, and all of a sudden, from about 10, 12 feet away from us, we hear this pitch-perfect, beautiful male falsetto doing the high part for lion sleeps tonight. And there, with his eyes closed, emitting this beautiful noise huh one night again doing a sing-along and a guy asks would it be okay if I, if I take the guitar for a few minutes this guy picks it up and the next thing i know is i'm hearing i'm hearing hundred dollar seat concert jazz guitarist is sitting there riffing for 20 minutes oh my god and it turns out he's a headliner uh -huh. <laughs> plays concerts for thousands and he at the end he sits there and gives me back my guitar and I'm supposed to start up again with blowing, with blowing in the wind. <laughs> <Or jump. laughs> but you do, 
you, you just <laughs> never know what's going to break out here. It's just so much fun. <laughs> It just sounds like a really true kumbaya moment. And I can only imagine like the vibe that's going on at your house in the evening as everybody's getting ready to start their trek in the morning. One of the benefits, if you will, of staying here is that you already, instead of starting by yourself, which is what 95% of the people do, because who has friends that are crazy enough (laughs) to do this with you? Shanty, that's how you started, right? Yeah, it took me until halfway through the AT for me to find my trail family. Um, but yeah. And so instead, they've already been thrust in, sort of six of us sleeping in this tent. They already go out knowing people. They already go out looking out for each other. So for example, in the first 20 miles of the trail, the PCT, it's difficult. There's no water, usually, mm-hmm. most years. People should be carrying four to six liters. They hear that religiously here. And every year, there's not just one or two, but there are multiple rescues in that first 20 miles. I have yet to hear of that being one of ours. And it's not just because they go out knowing what they should be carrying with them, but more, they go out and they're already looking out for each other. Mm -hmm. We realized early on that since more, you know, a third to 40% of that year's class is going through a house, we have the opportunity to positively affect hiker behavior. And so we didn't have to, we, we pack it with leave no trace, be good trail ambassadors to yourself and to others, some safety stuff especially stream crossings that probably has a safe lives and a bunch of fun stories that we inter- inter- interspersed it all. I love that I've heard of from the first hundred miles, they now have some forest service employees, the crest runners that say hi. They have a little spiel about trail, leave no trace. And they've told me, Scout, we can tell who stayed at your house <laughs> and who hasn't. Have you ever taken somebody to Campo and then they're back and they're like, take me home. <laughs> uh, Have you ever had to take somebody home? The answer is yes. And every year there are a couple, it's usually the, the phone calls from Lake Marina, 20 miles up. And one man or another, they've just completely, their spirit has been crushed. The 20 miles was entirely different and they are just crushed. And we go and, and we pick them up and they fly out the next day or the day after that happens every year. A scout, in the time you've been talking about the vibe at the house for the last like 10, 15 minutes, it just is so cool to see the energy, the inspiration, the excitement that is on your face. And I see it in your eyes. Like you are just, you love this so much. And that to me is amazing because I think about the people who run hiker hostels and the people who host hikers continuously saw it all the time on the AT. It's a lot of work. And I wonder over the 14 years that you opened your home at any point, were you dealing with burnout? Not really. And in part, because we're careful. Let me be really clear. You're talking with me today, <laughs> but this is very much, not just very much. It is Scout and Frodo, Scout and Frodo and my wife. And if she wasn't as equally crazy about this, we wouldn't be doing anymore. It is so much to us. So we make pledges with us. And as the numbers have grown up from, you know, the hundreds, the five, six hundred, and a thousand. Each of us agrees beforehand and we make a pact. You will, one morning a week, you will sleep in. Mm-hmm. Because our alarm goes off at 4.30 in the morning. So we really try to watch out for ourselves before hiker season starts, the actual people being here. We go away for three days to try and to, to charge up those batteries to 100%. Uh, and it's also, we've, as, as you guys have seen, it's been a trail angels or trail who have done it for too long or they've done it long enough that it gets to the end of the season and someone going through at the end of the season gets a different experience and that was the beginning of the season 
<laughs> I'm empathizing yeah. <laughs> with this as a southbounder. <laughs> so I was an AT southbounder too. Yeah, it's uh, such a different experience because, yeah, you get the people shutting down at the end of the year. <laughs> so I really remember when someone comes here, for them, it's their first time. This is now day 50 we've been doing this. And we and our with these three people living with us are, are rotating through. So we got you know, fresh blood, fresh enthusiasm that feeds off on ourselves. And that's also why we did, we had said that 2020 would be our last year. It's been 15 years. We want to go out while we still really enjoy doing it. And we have grandkids now. And also Frodo's been diagnosed with a Parkinson's and want to make mm -hmm. sure that we get to her bucket list earlier rather than later. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... Is it your last year? Because I've read conflicting information. First, I saw that 2020 was your last year. And then I saw another statement that you haven't ruled out 2022. What's the skinny on all that information? Gosh, it was so hard to cancel 2020. We had over 1,200 people. Our house was as ready as it ever was. We had a couple new tweaks to our system. We were looking forward, make things uh, easier, more fun even. And then, of course, we had to cancel. We already had tons of boxes. People had shipped here before. Oh, let's not even go into that. It was really hard. People showing up and 10 feet away, virtually hugging as they cry in our driveway as their hikes been canceled and what they're going to do. And over within a few months of that, we decided that we would host in 2021 because we wanted a, a real last year still. And then, of course, come this January, the peak of the surge, there was no way we could say we could safely have 40 people here a night. Um, Plus, it yeah. seems that the PCTA is encouraging people to push it back another year. Yeah, they are. And actually, they issued their full set of 50 permits. They're asking people to make wise decisions and to strongly consider pushing back here. So we have not made a decision yet about 2022. We'll make a decision this fall, seeing what the world looks like, because we all just got our chain pulled really hard. And uh, appreciate today, and you just don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. But there's, there's a chance, a significant chance that a uh, year from now, we'll get the tents set up in the backyard, food ordered, garage all set up as if it was a mini postal station and gear this up again. We're sorry to hear about Frodo's diagnosis. Yeah. So it sounds in like she wants to di dive right back in there though, huh? God bless her. It's actually, it's been, it's five years now. And she has such a great attitude and she's doing all the things that you can do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's something I want to know about like personal care. You throw so much of yourselves into hosting hikers. And then when you had to cancel 2020 and with you having to cancel 2021 because of COVID, what did you and Frodo do with all that extra time? Did you feel like this hole? Did you, what did you fill it with? Sunday night, March 15th, we make the hard decision that no degree of special practices here will be safe. And we send out the email, we're canceling. We are juggling hundreds of boxes. Should they be returned? Should uh, they be stored here? Should whatever. And on the 19th, that week, we, we have three children, all strong, competent people, married uh, people you would like being around. And our middle <laughs> child, strong, competent anesthesiologist, who was then eight months pregnant and had a two-year-old, she and her husband, what may be the first and only time ever, called out help. Daycare is canceled. 
mom and dad, could you come? March 19th, a year ago, the day that the, the governor closed down the state, we were on a deserted Southwest jet flying to D.C., where we lived in their basement for, for three months. We were there when our, when our second grandson was born. We had no lack of what to do in those three months. And at the same time, at the same time, I have a book that's being launched that summer for Mountaineers Books, and I'm doing all the book promotion efforts. And at the same time, I'm active in some on the board of a couple of significant trail groups. In fact, president of one. And that's happening in the background. I'm doing Zoom meetings downstairs in the basement. Before we jump into your book, Scout, I wanted to talk a little bit about all those years that you were hosting. And how have you seen the PCT change over the years as far as the demographics and the people who are hiking it? And has it had any effect on you as a host? So the extent there's a generalizations to be made about Pacific Crest Trail through hikers. Yeah, there have been some significant changes, say, in the 90s. During the 90s, the uh, average number of starters a year was probably 150, 175. And if you were up trail where you were, yeah, it was a rare and, and, and likely fun occurrence. That slowly changed over time to our year 2007, when maybe just shy of 300. And before Wild hit, you already had starting numbers getting up to maybe just around 1,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Wild hits, movie and the book. And numbers increase exponentially fairly quickly to 3,000. And to these days, I think it's four to 5,000 permits are issued to do a through hike, both northbound and, and, and southbound. So how have the uh, demographics and the basic hiker changed? We are seeing way more internationals. So our year, oh, it's a small fraction, 5 7%. These days, what, what comes to our house is more than a third are internationals. And probably trail-wide, that is true also. Uh, What country, would you say there's a specific country that dominates? Like when I hike the AT, most of the internationals were German. Yeah, we have, of our 1,200 people, I think we had 80, 90 Germans. They did, there was a a TV special about, I think, 2012, 13, our uh, TV special in Germany on the Pacific Crest Trail. And boom, then you have this positive feedback. Same with South Koreans. They had a film crew out here, did a, I think a two hour special that featured the Pacific Crest Trail. And it was a big boost in, big boost in that too. Mm-hmm. We're also seeing a difference in, uh, a significant difference in experience level. The average completion rate of a starting through hiker was 50% for the PCT. Mm-hmm. And that's gone down to 20 to 25%. You have so many more people who have caught the dream, but are doing it without the experience background. And there's nothing pejorative about that. We see people who come here and they've never backpacked before and they're starting out and, and they learn and they have their success. They have a fun time and, and they get themselves to be competent. The um, connectivity and electronics has made a huge change in the trail. So in, in the 90s, when you're out there, Mary, there's no such thing. <laughs> <laughs> it was okay. paper, yeah. map, and compass. Paper, that map, and compass, and you're carrying a camera. And maybe you had to buy new batteries in town. <laughs> 2007 era of the uh, flip phone people were still embarrassed on trail for it to be known you were carrying a cell phone our summer big announcement when we got into mammoth was apple had just announced the first iphone and today one of the most asked questions here at our house isn't how much water are you carrying 
or what maps are using. Today, it tends to be, so what size external battery are you carrying? Are you carrying a solar charger? People have gotten really wrapped up in their phone and all the things on it. People are not just plugged in listening, but they're, uh, they have a campsite where they have coverage and they're watching their latest show sitting there out in the wilderness. It's different. Mm-hmm. But has the trail experience changed? Mm-hmm. Is it crowded? Huh? Yeah. In the 90s, in the 80s, when Eric Ryback in 1970 hiked it, and today, what it does remain is it is still, in this modern world, an epic out there experience. It is the power of stepping, taking that first step from the Mexican border and thinking, I'm hiking to Canada. There's, in the 21st century, there's this continuous line, largely full wilderness in the United States of America, and the most populous state in the country, California. It remains epic and a miracle. So I did an experiment, fun experiment, 2019. I hiked south for four days, hiking against the northbound traffic, southern Sierra, <clears throat> in an area that I was probably about the, uh, to the extent that there would be a peak of two hikers, I'd be passing through it. So literally every day since I'm hiking south and against, I'm seeing two days worth of people. You guys got the math of that one in your head? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> okay, good. I can picture <laughs> yeah, it. Visualize, visualize that. I can picture it. Uh, so over four days, I'm seeing eight days worth of people. And what's my experience heading south in the Sierra Nevada? Am I feeling, oh, God, it's, I'm, on a, uh, I'm on a New York City street? Uh, I often had an hour or two. I was seeing no one else. When I came across people, I think I only had uh, maybe three or four groups that were more than two. And even me hiking still, I still felt a wilderness experience. Not solitary, not like this Continental Divide Trail. Yeah. But am I feeling like I'm on this hiking freeway, even going against the traffic? I didn't feel that. So the permits type system is working. There are things I don't like about it too. None of us do. And I think that, and I hope, and I work toward that 50 years from now, people will be able to have the same conversation like the three of us are today. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. this epic trail out there talking about folks who still got goosebumps because the night before they're going to head out and do this thing. So amazing. A true wilderness experience. And the other things I wanted to know that changed about, that's been changing about the PCT, have you seen a change in age, male versus female? Any swings with those? Yes, some changes. What still is true is the two largest demographics are the 20-somethings, which is obvious. Mm-hmm. But the uh, 55 to 65 is tends to be the next largest demographic. And that's not necessarily obvious. But it's the people before they really dived into a job and family and those sorts of things, mortgage, and the people on, on, on the other side of it. Maybe seeing things skew a little bit younger, but not a lot with the information with people getting caught up, whether wild or, or, or other books and such, seeing more couples. And our year, I, I could probably sit here and name for you each couple. And I think it was maybe 15 couples started our year total. Give me a break. And maybe a couple pairs of friends. And we see more of both of that. Were they couples when they ended too? <laughs> uh, isn't that always the question? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Make it through like the ultimate test. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. And we are seeing, and I really like seeing this, much higher percentage of women and women starting by themselves because it's what they want to do. Maybe our year that was 10% of the population. And again, I could probably list you the names of everyone. And, but these days what we see at the house, and I think what you see generally out there, is more and more a strong, competent woman, as high as a quarter to a third. Cool. 
One other question about changing, and this is coming from, I think, a biased perspective regarding the Appalachian Trail, where I think over the years with Baxter and with the southern half of the trail leading up to trail days, there's a party culture that the Appalachian Trail is dealing with. Have you seen any issues with the PCT over the years revolving around like a party culture or people being out there to go a little nuts? Yeah, yes. And it, there is more of that. And what can I say? It, it's largely contained, but it, at times it gets a little bit out of hand. Yeah. Scout, you mentioned about people doing these through hikes early on in their life, right after college, before career and family. And then you have people at the end of that, people who are retiring in the 55-year-old range. Was that the case for you and Frodo as well? So when we did the, the Pacific Crest Trail, I was 55 and she was 48. Yeah, so we were in the upper demographic. Then you went on to actually Triple Crown, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> and so when did you do that in relation to your PCT hike? So I to hike the Continental Divide Trail eight years later, 2015, when I was uh, 63. And then two years after that, at 65, I did the um, Appalachian Trail. What was the catalyst for you? Because you did the PCT in 2007, and then you had this eight-year gap before the CDT, and then shortly after that, right over to the AT. What was like the catalyst to say, okay, I'm going to go for the CDT and the AT and get the Triple Crown? So I knew from even the finish of our PCT hike that I wanted to do another long trail. And Frodo knew that she did not. Because uh, you have to really want to do this. Yeah. And I would you know, see someone or I'd think about the Triple Crown. And it was, it was this magical land. It, it uh, might be just like dropping into the Hobbit or dropping into Hogwarts and magical and also a bit impossible, if you will. And so what set me loose on the CDT was about two years before Frodo knew I wanted to do it. And literally, <laughs> without talking to me first, she started telling people, scouts doing the CDT in 2015. <laughs> uh, committed because she knew that's what I wanted hmm. and the AT happened the same way I came back uh, I had a great time on the CDT fantastic time I embraced the brutality out there and she knew I wanted to do, to do the AT the Appalachian Trail and about a half year after I came back she started telling people scouts doing the AT in 2017 I love her I, I always hate asking this question but I have to ask it to satisfy my uh, curiosity the Pacific uh, Crest Trail Okay. <laughs> You've done your homework with me. That's awesome. Now, the next question, though, is why the Pacific Crest Trail? Was it because it was your first? The flippant answer is because it's the only one I did with my wife. And she says, I have to give that answer. <laughs> That's awesome. But what undergirds that is I grew up in Los Angeles. I fell in love with backpacking in the Sierra Nevada at age 13. So it's my first love. And she did the same. And in some respects, it's a happy medium of both trails. It's mm -hmm. wild. It actually has the highest percentage of wilderness of all three trails. 48% is congressionally designated wilderness. But it's still approachable. The CDT is wild, but 20, 30% of it's on roads still to this mm -hmm. day. And a lot mm -hmm. of that land has been used, cattle and so forth. And the AT is this, for two-thirds, this glorious green tunnel. <laughs> Very true. And Very the northern true. 500 miles 
is some of the toughest trail tread I've walked on. This has the audacity to call itself trail. <laughs> it is not. It, uh, it's, yeah. And, and so this PCT in many ways is this happy medium in, in, in iconic experiences. Yeah. I agree with you. I, I backpack all over. I go to Alaska. I've been down to Chile backpacking all over Montana and Wyoming and the winds are some of my favorite places, Colorado. But I grew up backpacking in the Sierra and hiking in the Sierra. And there is just nothing in my mind that quite measures up to that, that exposed light colored granite with that beautiful clear creeks that run through the crown jewel. It's just such amazing country. This saddens me because I've through hiked the AT. I've done some small sections of the CDT. I have never even set foot on the PCT. So Scout, the thing I'm curious to ask about now is your book you recently released, Journeys North. It was released uh, 2020, right? Yes. And so Journeys North, there are many great first person through hiking memoirs out there. I wanted to do something different. So it certainly does cover myself and Frodo, but it is equally the story of four much younger hikers, a pair of 20-somethings, a pair of 30-somethings. And to be able to tell the story from their perspective, it was far more than just, I got close to these people on the trail and I heard the stories in the trail. I probably spent close to two years doing the background research to save a blazer one of the primary people, 25-year-old young woman then. We held over 12 separate distinct interviews and hundreds of questions. I had access to her journal, a journal she started at age eight. And similarly with, with the other three, with Dalton and with Tony and, and Nadine. I interviewed over 70 people before I sat down and tried to put the first word to a page for Journeys North. Mm-hmm. It, then I spent three years and 10 months writing the first draft. Then about two years of rewriting and editing and having it edited and cutting off some of the most beautiful stories. But that's what it takes to chip away into fashion, a, a, a book that I hope is, is compelling. And that someone who is a couch potato who will never get out there, have a chance to live it with us for a few moments. Can you tell us one of the stories from the book? Yeah, one uh, teaser. One teaser, but I'd like to uh, read a 250-word introduction. Absolutely. Which is the real teaser. I, sure. I wrote and rewrote this 25 times easily. No exaggeration. So it begins at the end. And the title introduction is Frodo's birthday, October 2nd, 2007. Blazer couldn't feel her toes. In the pre-dawn gloom, the 25-year-old stomped a path over a foot of fresh snow but the effort barely blunted the cold. This was the second blizzard in three days as the Gulf of Alaska hurled once in a generation storms at Washington's Cascade Range. After five months hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, Blazer was wearing her fifth pair of running shoes, and the studded soles were ground flat, much like her muscles, sinews, and joints. She'd come over 2,600 miles, only 40 left to reach Canada, She'd sworn days before, I'll crawl if I have to. Right behind her, Frodo and I brushed fat snowflakes from our bent shoulders and packs. A dim light penetrated the pine and spruce thicket. Happy birthday, Frodo, Blazer piped up. We both jerked as if poked. In the 30 years we'd been married, I'd never forgotten Frodo's birthday. 
but this time focused on the cold and not getting lost and on surviving. We both had. What do you want for your birthday, Blazer asked. Frodo, her breath visible, didn't hesitate. I want to finish the day alive. Two more storms swept in over the next three days, smothering the Pacific Crest Trail in thigh-high drifts. On Thursday night, Seattle King 5 TV News reported, three Pacific Crest Trail hikers are missing. Chatter lit up the internet within minutes. Goodness, it's so cold now. May the Lord protect them. Past midnight, one of 60 soon-to-be rescuers wrote, I'm headed out to Stevens Pass to work the search. But they weren't searching for us. They were searching for Nadine. And there you have the introduction to Journeys North. Got me engaged. I think I'm buying something on Amazon soon. Yep, I want to read it. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Scout. You bet. Thank you bet. You know, and, and thanks for sharing everything with us today. As I'll echo what Mary said, we wish the absolute best to Frodo as she goes through working with her Parkinson's. Yeah, we wish her every ounce of good luck and positive energy her way. Thank you. I will pass that on to her directly. And we wish you guys the best of luck, too. And there's one more question I've got to ask because we didn't ask it at the beginning, and I actually don't know the answer to this. How'd you get Scout, and how did she get Frodo? Scout's fairly easy. John Muir Trail, 2003, our first long through-hike of sorts. First day out, young man attaches to himself like a, like a leech. Just graduated high school. We're hiking up to, to a half dome, first day in the John Muir Trail, and after three hours of chatting, I heard this question come from him, from behind me. And it is, what's the most important thing you've done in your life? Oh, my gosh. I have probably three or four truthful answers at that moment. I've been married for 25 years, raised three kids. But the answer that came out of my mouth in that instant was, I was scoutmaster of a large Boy Scout troop for five years. And scoutmaster is too pretentious. The book we had torn up back in the day when you'd tear up like 50, 100 pages of an actual book and carry it out there and then having to resupply the next portions of the book we had carried out there was To Kill a Mockingbird. And who would not want to be named after its five-year, excuse me, nine-year-old hero, Scout Finch? So that's how Scout happened. Yeah. And I love it to this day. Frodo is more complicated. And it's my fault. A year before we hiked, I realized this, the year we're out there will be our 30th wedding anniversary. And this woman is not a jewelry personnel at all, but I want to do something really special. And it popped into my head, fully formed. I will commission a PCT custom ring. I found a jeweler. She did this beautiful job. If you were looking at it from a few feet away on her finger, you'd see, oh, that's the trail symbol. And if you look closer in the channel, you'd see, oh my gosh, that's the Northern Monument and that's Mount Shasta, the outline of Mount Hood and Northern Monument. I got this thing two months before we headed out and it burned a hole in my pocket. I gave it to her the day we started. You guys know where this is going because the Lord of the Rings movies were a big time. We need to trim. You're Frodo. <laughs> She's no, Frodo's a guy. But it was too perfect. And she still wears the ring to this day. And occasionally I get some things right with her. Better than Smeagol. And she's saying, my precious. <laughs> Much better. Could have yeah. been worse. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Thanks for sharing those, Scout. You bet.
Scout, it's been a pleasure and we're really excited to hear what you're going to do in 2022. So keep us posted. I will. Yeah. This, it's been a really special spending the time with the two of you. Thank you. Pleasure was all ours, Scout. You take care and uh, we'll talk soon. We hope you enjoyed today's show, everyone. If you haven't already, make sure to head over to Amazon and order yourself a copy of Journeys North, the Pacific Crest Trail. I just started reading it, and it is riveting stuff. Also, make sure to follow Scout and Frodo by going to BarneyScoutMan.com. That's two N's, BarneyScoutMan.com. And also on Instagram, at Journeys North. And while you're there, make sure to check out our page, at Out and Back Podcast. If you like today's show, make sure to go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a nice five-star review. It'll brighten our day, and by the way, it'll help improve your gas mileage. No guarantees. Finally, don't forget to snag that sweet discount at GaiaGPS.com slash podcast. This is Shanti, along with Mary, and we'll see you next time on the Out and Back Podcast presented by Gaia GPS. Take care, everyone.